to the Seeking Pearls podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is wonderful to have you here today. Today we are in episode number six of our journey with the Apostle Paul that we're going throughout the summer. The series is called Paul, His Journeys, His Letters, His Jesus. And today we are doing the second half of his first missionary journey, which he spent time, about a year or two, we're not sure how long, he and Barnabas spent that first missionary journey going through what is modern-day Turkey, the southern part of modern-day Turkey, which is the region primarily of Galatia, is where this ministry occurred, where it took place. So last week was our first episode on this journey, part one, and today we're going to look at the second half of this journey. What I want us to really focus on today is just thinking about Paul's great love for Jesus. We're going to see his hardships and struggles. We're going to see some tremendous suffering for the sake of Christ in his journey today. And I don't want us to focus so much on Paul himself, but on his Jesus, who led him through this all, his Jesus, who probably brought him back from the dead in the, in the text that we see today and his Jesus that he did this all for because Jesus is worth it. The Apostle Paul knew down to the core of his being that Jesus is worth it. Every step he took on this journey, every suffering he endured on this journey, Jesus is worth it. And so today I want us to look past the Apostle Paul and look at Jesus and see who Jesus is and how worth it Jesus is. That is what we want to look at today as we go through our text I want to start today by actually looking in Galatians. Galatians is probably the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he it seems like he wrote it right after this missionary journey to the churches he had just visited. And I want to start there today because he writes in that letter something very personal about what actually brought him to these churches. I alluded to it last time, but we didn't read the text in the last episode. So today I want to go and I want to read this text where he writes very personally about what brought him to this region and the tenderness that the people uh, gave to him during this time. So I'm going to start by reading from Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Paul writes, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. All right, so we don't know what this illness is. It's interesting because Luke is a physician, but Luke does not record anything about the illness for us in the book of Acts, which just makes us, could make us think that Luke's whole point was not to record incidental things about Paul, but just to point us to Jesus and just to draw out the ministry that happened for the sake of the gospel. And Luke did not include things like, illnesses in his account. So Luke doesn't record this at all. So this tidbit that we have from the book of Galatians is the only thing we have about this illness. 
Some scholars think that perhaps when Paul and Barnabas were sailing from the island of Cyprus to the southern portion of what is now southern Turkey or southern Galatia, that is a region that dealt with a lot of coastal malaria. And so some scholars think that perhaps Paul contracted malaria during that journey on the sea and then got to the coastal lands of southern Turkey and had to get up into the mountains to some higher altitudes for cooler air to to help him heal and recover. And so when he went higher into the mountains towards Antioch of Pisidia, that is possibly where he's writing these words to about his illness and that they received him even though he was ill. So that's possibly what he's dealing with. And then the part about you would have given me your eyes if you could have. What's One thing I've read that was really interesting is that one, one effect of malaria can be a, a headache that is so severe that it hurts behind your eyes in a tremendous way. And so it could be that that is what was happening to Paul, that he had this headache from his malaria, from possible malaria, that was extremely painful behind his eyes. And so that could be what he is referring to there. Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes about something called the thorn in his flesh that he has pleaded with the Lord three times to take away. And the Lord has just reminded him that his grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. And so some people connect the thorn in the flesh with possibly an eye struggle or an eye pain or an eye disease and it could all be connected to this we just we don't know but anyway the reason that Paul is traveling to these regions has something to do with an illness he contracted and he needed to possibly get to higher cooler uh, weather and um, and that is what brought him to Galatia so last in the last episode, we talked about, we read through the first half of this missionary journey, which dealt with the island of Cyprus and also his ministry in Antioch of Pisidia. And we find out at the end of chapter 13 that they went under, they underwent persecution. We don't know, it doesn't tell us there if they were physically beaten or Uh, flogged or anything like that. It just tells us that they underwent persecution and they had to flee Antioch. A lot of scholars believe that they probably did undergo some physical suffering at that time. Anyway, they fled to Iconium. Now, something interesting here is the distances that they went, especially if they had just undergone some significant physical punishment. After they left Antioch, they went 109 miles to Iconium now, this is over the Taurus Mountains. Uh, they're in high altitude, some really big mountains. You can look up the Taurus Mountains in present-day Turkey, look at pictures uh, on Google Maps. They're significant mountains. And so th- this, is very, really, this is really difficult travel. And they may have just underwent some severe punishment, and then they just go <laughs> hiking through the mountains again for 109 miles to the city of Iconium, which is present-day Konya, Turkey. So 109 miles, that would take them about a week, probably, to get there. And the Lord has significant ministry for them there. So I'm going to pick up reading in Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But 
the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both the Gentiles and the Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. All right, so let's go through that a little bit. That was verses 1 through 7 of Acts chapter 14. So it says, as usual, they went to the synagogue. That has become their pattern that even though God sent Paul and called Paul specifically to preach to the Gentiles, Paul's uh, the way about that Paul goes about this almost always is to start by going to the Jewish synagogue and preaching Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament to the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in attendance at the synagogue. That's where he starts. And then from there, he draws in other Gentiles and goes to the Gentiles, but he always starts with the Jews. That is consistent with his statement in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, his famous statement, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then the Gentile. Salvation came to the Jews first, and Paul's message, he always starts in the synagogues and builds out from there. So that's what he's doing again here. He starts in the synagogues and begins with his Old Testament teaching, probably very much in the same way he did in Acts chapter 13, which we saw that whole sermon. He probably did the same thing here. A great number, it says, of Jews and Gentiles believed but there were the leading Jews who did not believe, who did not believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And interestingly, those who refused to believe who were Jews got together with Gentiles who also didn't believe, and they worked together to stir up accusations and persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Even though it says also in the text in verse 3 it says that god was through the power of the holy spirit he was confirming his message of grace through signs and wonders miracles that paul and barnabas were able to perform so that god was just showing in very tangible ways the truth of the gospel many many people came to faith in christ in that city in Iconium, but there was a plot against them to stone them to death. And when they heard of it, they fled to the town of Lystra. Now here's something really interesting, and I, I don't know for sure if this is the case. I just, a couple of my scholars have brought this up. We know in Acts chapter 16, which is going to be in our next podcast, we're going to meet Timothy. Timothy becomes a very important part of Paul's life and will travel with him and he will become his son in the faith is what he calls him when when Paul writes letters to Timothy. First and second Timothy, he calls him my dear son in the faith. So he becomes a very, very close person in Paul's life. Timothy is from Lystra 
And many scholars, in fact, it seems like most scholars, think that Paul probably met Timothy on his first missionary journey here in Acts chapter 14 when he goes to Lystra. That's probably true, because by the second missionary journey, we find out that Timothy is a a highly respected believer in the city of, of Lystra. So he probably came to Christ in this mission as a teenage boy. And then a couple of years later, when Paul comes back through Lystra, he then is a respected believer, also probably still a teenager or a young man, and then become, becomes one of Paul's traveling partners. But anyway, here's the part that is a little bit more questionable. There's not a clear reason why Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra here. When they leave Iconium, they go to Lystra, which apparently there's no synagogue in Lystra. It has been Paul's pattern to only go to places so far where he can begin teaching in a synagogue. There's not apparently a synagogue in Lystra. There's no mention of one. And so what would have brought him to Lystra? Well, a couple of the scholars that I have read have suggested that perhaps Paul actually met Timothy and his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, in Iconium, when they were in Iconium, because it says that they were in Iconium for a long time. And we know that Lois and Eunice were Jewish. And so it's possible that since Paul and Barnabas were in Iconium for a long time, It's possible that Eunice and Lois heard about these great preachers who had come to the Iconium synagogues, and it's possible that they traveled to Iconium to hear Paul and Barnabas speak, perhaps with Timothy, or perhaps without Timothy, we're not sure. And then when Paul and Timothy, or I'm sorry, when Paul and Barnabas had to flee from Iconium, perhaps Eunice and Lois were like, why don't you come and stay with us in Lystra? And maybe that is what brought them to Lystra, because there just doesn't seem to be another significant reason that they would go there since Lystra did not have a synagogue. So nobody knows for sure. These are just possibilities that scholars have brought up. Uh, But I find it compelling, and it makes me wonder if that's why they went to Lystra, because they were invited there by Eunice and Lois. Possible? No one knows. All right, so anyway, they flee. They flee from Iconium, and they go to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and surrounding countryside, and they keep on preaching the gospel. All right, so now that brings us to verse 8 of chapter 14. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. And he called out, Stand up on your feet! At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted out in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form! Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Okay, now please note, Lystra was known for its worship of Zeus and Hermes. Zeus was the patron god over the city of Lystra. That means they chose Zeus to be like their patron city god. And 
Hermes, though, of the of the duo of Hermes and Zeus, the two gods that they primarily worshipped, Hermes was known as the the mouthpiece, the speaker of those two gods, and Zeus was more like the quiet god in the background. So because Paul was the primary speaker between Paul and Barnabas, they called Paul Hermes and Barnabas they called Zeus. So they thought that they were an embodiment, an incarnation of Hermes and Zeus. And they they wanted to worship him. They brought bulls and sacrifices and there was a huge temple outside of the city, a temple built to Zeus and the and the priest came. They made a, a huge deal over this. In verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard about this, they tore their clothes. You see that throughout the entire Old Testament and several times in the New Testament as well. It's a sign of grief and uh, somebody would tear their clothes, just like take the, the collar of their tunic and just tear it maybe six inches or so as a sign of, of grief. So they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. All right, so I want to point out a couple of things here that just help us to understand that this crowd was not a primarily Jewish crowd. Clearly it's not because they were worshiping Hermes and Zeus. A Jewish crowd would be monotheistic worshiping the one true God the God of Israel and so we we know that this is not a primarily Jewish region which also that's clear because they don't have a synagogue but in Paul's other sermons that we have seen so far he has started in the synagogue and explained Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament shown how the law and the prophets all point to Jesus as the Messiah He does not do that here. He starts with what they know. He's like, friends, why are you doing this? There is a God in heaven, a living God. He made everything you see, the heavens and the earth and everything that he has given you. He has shown you kindness through your crops and giving you rain and season. So he he starts with what they know, the things that they see, and he points people towards the one true living God. They still want to sacrifice to them. They still want to to worship him and Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes. But some people are believing in the words that Paul and Barnabas are saying and beginning to put their faith in the one true God. It seems, though, that some time is going to pass between verses 18 and 19. So there might be some time in Lystra where they get to keep on talking to the people, keep on preaching to the people about this one true God. And then in verse 19, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So here's why I said I think that there's some time, like in between verses 18 and 19, when, when they start preaching to the people and the people are listening and some people still want to sacrifice to them thinking they're Zeus and Hermes, but other people are starting to believe 
in the one true God. The reason I think that there's some time there is because from Antioch to Iconium is 109 miles. And then from Iconium to Lystra, where they currently are, is another 40 miles. So Lystra to Antioch is 150 miles. That would take at least a week for people to travel that far. So there's some time that goes by here, and probably some people are coming to faith in Jesus, and other people are still not. But over the course of time, the Jews who live in Antioch and Iconium have heard about this, and they are traveling through the mountains for the sole purpose of putting Paul and Barnabas to death. They want to kill this message, and to do that, they need to kill the messenger. So they come over the mountains, a week-long journey, for the sole purpose of silencing this message about Jesus. And silencing this message means killing the messenger. So, verse 19, I'm going to read that again. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the city. And the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. All right, let's think about that. These people knew what they were doing. They came prepared to kill Paul. They knew how to stone somebody to death. So the question is, when they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead, was he in fact dead? Probably. Scholars can't give a definitive answer on this. He was probably dead. They knew what they were doing. And when they drug him outside the city, they were, they were dragging a corpse outside the city. Then we see in verse 20 that the disciples gathered around him. The angry crowd leaves. They leave Paul in a ditch thinking he's dead. The church in Lystra, who, those who have come to believe in Jesus who have come to faith in Jesus, who have received the Holy Spirit, they gather around Paul's body. What are they doing gathering around him? They're praying for him. They're praying for a miracle. And as they gathered around him, God revives him, more than likely brings him back from the dead. And not just brings him back from the dead, but heals his broken body. He had just been stoned. So stoning not only is going to kill a person, but it is, even if it doesn't kill a person, it will break the bones in their body. Many, many of the bones damage the tissue, damage the organs. It will cause major trauma to the body. And so God miraculously heals his body, brings him probably back to life, and Paul gets up. And what does he do? He goes back into the city. Now, possibly staying at the house of Timothy, Eunice, and Lois. They, they might be the ones who take care of him as he heals from this experience, but only overnight. <laughs> he only stays back in Lystra overnight. He heals very, very quickly because it says the next day, the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Derby is another 70-mile walk through the Taurus Mountains. So 
they get up and they go on at least another three-day journey. Paul's healing here is absolutely miraculous, amazing, totally supernatural, completely by the hand of God. Even if he wasn't completely dead, his healing is incredible. He was at the on the doorstep of death. If he, if he was not dead, he was on death's doorstep. And he is fully revived, fully strengthened, fully repaired by the next day. And he leaves and goes on another journey to Derby, where he's going to continue his ministry. So let us see what goes on in Derby. Verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city, and they won a large number of disciples. That's actually all we know. <laughs> That's everything we have from Derby in this journey. We see that Paul's going to visit there again, but in this journey, that's all we have. And it kind of feels like a respite, right? Like a, a time of respite and peace. Like, okay, now you just get to go to Derby and you're going to preach the gospel and a large number of people are going to believe in Jesus. And as far as we know, they didn't face any persecution in that city. They just had people come to faith in Christ. And I mean, why wouldn't they? Because you know the story got spread that, hey, you know what? This man was just stoned to death yesterday. And here he is. Okay, well, no, because it took a few days to preach to, it took a few days for them to journey to Derby. But word would have got out that, hey, this man was just stoned to death four days ago or a week ago. And look at him. Now he is standing in your city fully, fully healed, preaching the gospel to you, of course a large number of disciples is going to come in, into faith in Christ. Then after their time was done in Derby, look what it says at the end of verse 21. It says, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now this is crazy because if you look at a map of modern day Turkey, you will see that Derby, uh, which actually no longer goes by the name of Derby, Derby is probably present-day Kerti Hayuk. Kerti Hayuk. I don't know if I pronounced that right. But if you were to look at a map and see that, you would see that Kerti Hayuk on a map is not far from where Paul grew up in Tarsus. So when they left Derby, they were only about 120 miles from Paul's hometown of Tarsus. They could have just traveled back to Tarsus and then traveled back to Antioch of Syria, their home church. They could have gone that way just over land. But instead, they, that's not what they did. Rather than continue on, continuing on eastward, back home, they turned around and went back west where they had come from on this journey. So they returned to the churches they had just planted in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They returned to Lystra. We don't know how much time Paul spent in Derby. It could have been a month. It could have been a couple of weeks. It could have been six months. I mean, we just don't know. But after he left Derby, he went back to Lystra, which is the very city that had just stoned him to death. And then after he left Lystra, he went back to Iconium, and then he went to Antioch, Pisidia, and all those places, those three cities, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, all of them had had, had persecution against him. 
and he went back and visited the churches in every single one of them because he wanted to see how they were doing. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to build up the believers. He wanted to see if they had any questions about theology. He wanted to pray with them, and he wanted to celebrate with them new believers that had come to Christ over the course of the time that he had been absent from those churches. It's just phenomenal that he went back to those cities. Verse 22 tells us what he was doing. As he went back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, he was strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. That's so interesting that they said that to him to Paul and Barnabas because clearly Paul and Barnabas have gone through many many hardships and I wonder if they had as well I wonder if they had endured persecution already like in just a short time since Paul had planted the churches and then Paul had continued his journey while they stayed in those towns of Lystra Iconium and Antioch had they gone through many hardships had they already started enduring suffering for the sake of Christ it seems like perhaps they had since they said we need to go through many hardships verse 23 Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Persia, they went down to Italia. All right, so Italia is a port city in Turkey, in what is now modern-day Turkey, I should say, and from there, they set sail and they went back to Antioch. So that's verse 26. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. So the Antioch that they went back to there is Antioch in Syria, which is their home church that had sent them out. One thing I want to point out too that I kind of skipped past here is in verse 25, it says that they came into Pamphylia, which is the region where Persia is. Persia is actually the port city where they sailed the first time. They landed in, in Persia. And then that's where John Mark left them. And then it says, it just says in Acts chapter 13 that they sailed to Persia. And from Persia, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. It doesn't say in chapter 13 that they ever spent any time in Persia preaching. Of course, if Paul was sick, like we had talked about earlier, if he did have like this coastal malaria or something else that caused him to be sick while he was on the coast and he had to hurry up and get into the higher altitude of the mountains, that would explain why they didn't spend any time in Persia preaching on their first go through. But as they come back now, on the end of their journey, they're coming back through Persia. And it says, after they had preached the word in Persia, they went down to Italia. And it's just fascinating to me that it's like they were like, we missed this town the first time. For possibly because of Paul's illness, they're like, we missed this town the first time and we need to get back to this town and preach the gospel there. And so they did. And I I love that attention to detail. I love that they were like, we can't leave here without preaching Jesus to these people as well. And they take the time for that. So then from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch. And I'm going to start in verse 20. 
6. From Italia they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together, and they reported all that God had done through them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. I just love, I love everything about that. I love that they gathered the church and they told them all that God had done. I think that is just such a beautiful statement. They did not gather the church together and say, let us tell you about our trip. Let us tell you about all the things we did. Let us tell you about all the things we saw and all the places we went and all the people we met. No, they said, let us tell you what God has done. Let us tell you what God has done. And how God opened a door for the Gentiles. Let us tell you what God did. And they celebrated. And then I love verse 28. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. How long? We're not really sure. They are going to head out on mission again soon. Scholars believe that this first journey was somewhere between 12 and 24 months that they spent on their first journey and then their time back in Antioch could have been up to a year, could have been a handful of months, not sure. They're going to go down to Jerusalem soon and have a council with some of the other apostles to determine what to do about Gentile converts, whether or not they need to be circumcised primarily. So they're going to go to Jerusalem and have that and then they are going to be sent out on another missionary journey which we will see in our next episode. But I love right now in Acts chapter 14, verse 28, they just stay there for a long time with the disciples. They rest, they get renewed, they keep preaching the gospel, they celebrate what God has done, and they just take some time to pause and wait to see where God is going to send them next. During this time also, this time of pausing in Antioch, scholars most scholars think that this is during the t- this is the time during which Paul wrote his letter to the churches in Galatia that he had just planted. So he writes them a letter and it's interesting because Paul's letter to the Galatians is actually the only letter that he writes that doesn't start with greeting and it's not full of love and gushiness the way that some of his other letters are. It is filled primarily with scolding. What happens is these churches he just planted, it seems rather quickly, turn from the gospel of reconciliation through Christ, justification through Christ, that our righteousness comes from Christ alone and through no works of the law. Believers turn rather quickly from that because they're, it's being infiltrated. The gospel is being infiltrated with lies, probably from the non-believing Jews, probably the same people who came from Antioch and Iconium to Lystra to stone Paul to death. Probably those same Jewish leaders are the ones who are infiltrating the gospel throughout the region of Galatia, teaching that the people do need to be circumcised, teaching that they do need to still gain righteousness through the law. And that minimizes the gospel. And Paul hears about this. I don't know how he hears about this. I wonder a tiny bit. Now, 
hear me out. I'm only wondering a tiny bit. <laughs> I have absolutely no proof of this, but we find out later how extremely significant Timothy, Lois, and Eunice are and how, how significant they become to Paul. And so I just have to wonder, they, they live in Lystra. They live in this region of Galatia. They have received the message of Jesus. Do they hear about their friends and their fellow Christians throughout the region of Galatia, do they hear about people turning away from Jesus, turning away from the righteousness that comes through faith alone? And do they, with grieved hearts, send word to Paul to say, hey, this is happening. People have infiltrated the gospel with lies about how we have to obey the law. And do they write a letter back to Paul? It's possible because they themselves are Jewish and it's possible that with their, they love the Old Testament, and yet they know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They know that they no longer have to keep the law to be saved, that their righteousness comes through faith in Christ alone. And so it's with a very heavy and grieved heart that they might, they might send word to Paul about this. Anyway, somebody sends word to Paul, and Paul finds out and he writes the letter of Galatians to them with a deeply grieved heart. I want to just share a little bit about that letter from Galatians chapter 3. <laughs> it's uh, some strong language that he shares with them here. But it helps us get kind of the synopsis of, of what the struggle is and how grieved Paul is about it. So Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to re read uh, from verses 1 through 5. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? He's just asking them, look, did you, did you earn the gospel by doing works of the law? Or did the gospel come to you as a gift through faith from the Holy Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to share a little bit more about what he writes. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words with exclamation points. I love when the Bible uses exclamation points. It doesn't happen very often but we know it's significant. <laughs> Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, he would be writing primarily here to Gentiles because Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. And he says, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. 
For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in, in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? We just see his grief throughout the whole letter to the Galatians because people are thinking they need to obey the law, that they need to receive righteousness from the law. They're adding to the cross of Christ. They're saying, okay, Jesus died for us and we have to obey the law to be saved. And he's saying, no, no, if you think that you need to obey the law to receive righteousness, then Jesus died for nothing. You cannot receive righteousness from the law. That's why Jesus died for you. So he just pleads with them throughout the entire letter. He pleads with them to trust in Christ alone for salvation and not works. And so we can tell that there's been an infiltration in the gospel message throughout the region of Galatia. What's encouraging is Paul goes back through Galatia. <laughs> he goes to these same many of these same places on his second journey, which, you know, it's just mind-blowing to me because, again, he was stoned nearly to death or maybe to death, but he goes back again. And when he goes back again, it seems peaceful again. So it seems the letter that he wrote to the Galatians served its purpose and that the people saw the truth of God in it and saw the truth and the pureness of the gospel and again set their faith wholly on Christ alone. It seems very likely that that happened in response to his letter. I want to close our time today by just sharing with you again one of the verses I chose as a theme verse for my journey through Paul's life, which was Acts chapter 20, verses 23 and 24. Last week, I kind of, I went back to the one in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that says, I want to know Christ. And we just talked about how amazing it was that throughout all of his journeys, all of his sufferings, all of his preaching Christ, Paul still knew that there was more to know. Like there was more intimacy with Christ to be gained. And he set his eyes on that, on Jesus alone and knowing Christ. Today I want to go back to the other theme verse that I chose for this series and just talk about how worth it Jesus is and how Paul saw Jesus as so worth it. So when Paul is writing, or when he is speaking in Acts chapter 20, Luke is writing it down later, he's speaking to some dear beloved friends from Ephesus, and they're trying to tell him not to go back to Jerusalem because they, they have told him, like, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested, which is true. He does get arrested. But Paul says to them this, this beautiful statement. He says, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying 
to the good news of God's grace. Paul tells his friends from Ephesus, In every city I go to, the Holy Spirit warns me that there will be hardships. But I don't consider my life worth anything to me. My only aim, my only aim is to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, and that is to testify to the good news of God's grace. To testify to the good news of God's grace. I know that hardships await me. The Holy Spirit tells me they do. But my aim is to testify to the good news of God's grace. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. That is why Paul can get up after being stoned to death and go back into Lystra. And then the very next day, go to Derby, which is a three days journey, preach the gospel in Derby, and then when he's done preaching the gospel in Derby, go back to Lystra, and then go back to Iconium, and then go back to Antioch, the very cities where the people who just stoned him to death are from. <laughs> the reason he can do that is because his own life isn't worth anything to him. What's worth something to him is Jesus and testifying to the good news of the grace of God. I want to testify to the good news of the grace of God. I want my life to be a testimony to the good news of the grace of God. When I go places and then I get to tell people about it, I want to tell people what God has done. Just like Paul and Barnabas got back to Antioch and they were like, let us tell you what God has done. Let us tell you what the grace of God has accomplished. They spent their whole lives testifying to the good news of the grace of God because Jesus is worth it. Amen and amen. Thanks so much for joining me. In our next episode, we will be looking at their next journey. What happens next? Let's find out next time. Have a great day. Bye.